0: so much, Jesus, for this beautiful morning that you've given us to be together. Lord, now just to sit at your feet and to open our hearts to you. Lord, we've come desiring to hear from you, expecting to hear from you, and for a fresh work of your spirit within each one of us. So we thank you ahead of time for the great things that you're going to do. By the power of your spirit, would you speak to us and teach us and transform us, Lord, as only you can. So, again, we thank you for what you're going to do this morning. We give you our hearts, our minds, our all this morning. May you be glorified and honored. And it's in your precious and your holy name, Jesus, that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revealing. Because remember, that's what revelation means, the revealing of Jesus Christ and all of his beauty, all of his splendor, all of his majesty. And as we're entering into this kind of this section of the book, remember this, we're we're in the seven year period known as the tribulation period, right? A heavy time that is going to come on planet earth. I personally, and I, I see it biblically as well, that the church will not be here during that time period. I believe, as the Bible says, Jesus will come. He's preparing a place for you and I right now as his children, correct? Isn't that what Jesus said, John 14? He's preparing a place for us, and he's going to come back and receive us to himself, that where he is, we may be also before his unmitigated wrath is poured out upon planet earth. And so, um, so not only do we see throughout this book the revealing of Jesus Christ and his beauty and his majesty um and his power in his love and in his grace but we also see his wrath too and we're going to talk about that his righteous indignation his righteous anger and and again for some people it takes tribulation to bring them to that place of surrender it took that the Lord doing that in my life to cause me to surrender to him to bring me to a place of of recognizing my need for Jesus his forgiveness him filling up my life with the, in, in the emptiness of the things I was chasing to fill me up, to bring me satisfaction, to bring me peace in my heart. And it was only Jesus. He's the only one that can do that, you guys. Because He promises to as you come to Him just as you are. And so um, we see in this section how God is going to bring heaven to earth. And it's going to take some pain. It's going to take some tribulation. Um, God, is gonna fi- God is going to fix what's wrong with planet earth, you guys. He he is going to bring heaven to earth, but it's going to take some tribulation. It's going to take some pressure. And so we are looking at uh, approximately the midpoint of the tribulation period, three and a half years in. And so in chapter 12, and by the way, in chapter 13 also, there is a lot of symbolism, you guys. And you'll see that this morning um, as we go through. We take the word of God literally as we study the Bible Unless there's something significant that would tell us differently. And I think you'll be able to see that this morning. And as always, the best commentary for the Bible is the the Bible itself. Okay, so let's, uh, let's jump into God's Word. In chapter 12, verse 1, here's what it says. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet... And on her head, a garland of 12 stars. Then, being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. And so hopefully we're seeing some of the symbolic language here. (laughs) We'll work this out in a minute. And then it goes on to say his tail, this dragon, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God And his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1260 days. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan. So the dragon is defined for us right there. Who it is. It's the devil who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. Why? For the accuser of our brethren... Who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. This is a great verse. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. And by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens. And you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you. Having great wrath. Because he knows that he has a short time. And so verse 12 really helps us understand the context here. Um, Satan, uh, this is Satan's last shot, you guys. As we see it. we see the culmination of everything that is anti-God over the last 6,000 years. 6,000 years of world history in which the devil has opposed the Lord and everything the Lord wants to do it is coming to the end the devil will have an end and so notice with me first in the chapter John John is given a little history lesson um, in verse 1 we're told now a great sign appeared where did it appear you guys in heaven, in heaven. so we have to ask ourselves what in the world the signs do Signs are a method of communication, right? It's a symbol. It's a picture of something here for us. And so he, what does he see? He sees a woman, right? And, and she's wrapped in what? The sun, right? Is that what it says? Yes. Your Bible says underneath her feet is the moon. And she's got this wreath of how many stars? Twelve stars. Twelve stars. And so the question is, who in the world is this woman? Who in the world is this woman? I think personally, as we read through this chapter, it makes total sense to me. But there are some people that say, this has got to be the church. Got to be the church, man. It's the church. And I would say the problem is 2 Corinthians chapter 11 tells us that we, the church, the bride of Christ, will be presented as a chaste virgin to the Lord. A chaste virgin to the Lord. Not with children, as a chaste virgin. Well, some people say, this has got to be a reference to Mary. No doubt this is a reference to Mary. The problem is, Mary was not chased for three and a half years into the wilderness. And then into, into a place where God had prepared for her. And so the context of the, the, the passage doesn't allow it to be Mary. So who in the world can this be, this woman? Again... The best commentary for the Bible is the Bible itself. Genesis, check it out. Genesis chapter 37 helps us understand the imagery comes from this passage. Genesis 37. And you guys know the scene here. Jacob, how many boys did Jacob have? How many kids did Jacob have? Boys. Twelve. Thank you. Genesis 37. I'm going to read from, how about verse 5, 37-5. Five. Just a couple a couple verses to help us out. Now Joseph, it's one of Jacob's sons, he had a dream. And he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And well, they know exactly what the implication is. And his brother said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? They're like, really? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream. And told it to his brothers and said, look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. Does that sound familiar, you guys? So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? So this woman is a reference to the nation of Israel. Remember that it was the 12 sons there that would make up the 12 tribes of Israel. And so that's the reference we have. That's the reference that fits the context. Flip back with me to Revelation 12. And so notice with me in verse 2 this woman is pregnant and she brings forth a child. Check it out. She brings forth a child in pain. Which child came forth from the nation of Israel with painful circumstances accompanying the birth? Jesus, you guys remember what happened with Jesus? Number one, who was Israel in submission to at that time, nationally? Who was over them? The the Romans. The Romans were. The Romans pummeled them into submission. Right? They were. They had to be submitted, submissive to Rome, take instructions, their cues from Rome. But remember when Jesus was born? You guys remember Herod? Herod was tweaked, wasn't he? He heard a king is born. There's a king that's arrived that's going to rule and reign. His pride gets tweaked. And what does he do? He sends out some hitmen to Bethlehem. You guys remember that? To kill every child under two years, two years and under. So he tried to wipe out. That's demonic, by the way. And that's what we're seeing here. We see him trying to wipe out the Messiah. And notice what it says next. And the context here is what the devil has been trying to do since the beginning is to stop the Savior, the Messiah, and stop God and what God is trying to do with mankind. And so notice in verse 3, another sign appeared where? In heaven. Again, thank you. Behold, check it out, a great fiery red dragon. Who's the fiery red dragon? Satan. Satan. Where does it tell us that? Verse what? Verse 9, it tells us. This is so important. You don't need to go Google it. Right, I'm googling who the dragon is, and if it appears on the first page, it's got to be the truth, right? First, anything after the first page, it's all baloney. First page, I'm good to go, man. No, listen, the Bible tells us exactly that this is Satan, and having seven heads and ten horns, and notice on his heads are what seven? Diadem. What's a diadem? It's a crown. He's got seven crowns on his head. We will talk about this more in detail in a few weeks. However, this is speaking of something very important as we consider the devil's work in human history. This imagery is a reference to his influence, to his impact, to his his authority throughout history. And we're going to see specifically, as we work our way through, specifically in relation to the nation of Israel. In world history, the enemy has has tried to come against the nation of Israel. We think about some of the kingdoms that have uh, caused problems with the children of Israel, beginning with Egypt, correct? Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, the Romans, and so that's gonna, we're going to look at that and talk about that later on, but also the enemy, the enemy of our souls is at work today behind kings and kingdoms, and he will be in the future as well. We're going to see this, this ten horns is a reference to ten kings or leaders or nations of a final world-ruling empire that will one day give their authority um, to the Antichrist, and he will rule alone until Jesus comes. And you guys remember what happens? Just takes him out just like that. Opens Jesus just opens his mouth and, see you later, Antichrist. Poof, gone. But Satan doesn't work alone. He finds willing partners to, to, to work with him to do his dirty work. In fact, v- verse 4 tells us With his tail, he pulled in a third of the... What do the stars, you guys think, represent? We've talked about this. We know. Represents angels, you guys. Specifically fallen angels. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about um, when Satan fell, right? You guys remember that? Is Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28? He fell because of his pride, right? His heart was lifted up in pride. We talked about the danger of pride in our own hearts, correct? You guys remember that? And so Jesus, in fact, said, I think it's in Luke chapter 10, I saw Satan fall like lightning. So he had this fall from from glory of this exalted position in ministry and such a, such a, a beautiful creation of God. He fell, and when he fell, he took a third of the angels. But isn't that good to be reminded that if you, if you have a third, there's also two-thirds, isn't there? There's two-thirds on, on our side. It's good to be reminded of that. But Satan is very influential. So he takes these fallen angels. They are tossed down to earth. And uh, so the conflict, it's interesting just to consider the conflict, which began in the spiritual realm, it's now spilled over into the physical realm. The Bible tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. There's a spiritual battle that's going on, you guys, all around us and in our lives. And so um, there's a struggle for light and dark that's happening around us as well. The battle lines were drawn early. Remember when, when, uh, when Adam and Eve fell, God gave that awesome promise, though, to Eve. The serpent is doomed because of your seed, because of the Messiah, because of the Savior of the world. And so Satan lost his privileged place and rebellion takes a third of the angels' And ultimately, he seeks to do what? To to steal, to kill, to destroy. And we know where he's headed to the lake of fire for all eternity. And his time is going to be up. Well, notice what he does, though, here in verse 4. It tells us that he stood, so the devil stood right in front of Israel, uh, the nation, as the Messiah was about to be brought forth. And Herod's attempt to kill Jesus was demonic in nature. Again, God promised the Savior of the world to come through the Jewish line, the, the, the nation of Israel. And so, he's, his plan... And even if you think back, I mean, think back with me. How Satan has tried to stop the coming of the Messiah. Remember in, in Egypt, when the, when the babies were born, what did Pharaoh try to do to those babies? Throw them in the, in the river, Right? Remember Haman? Haman, remember in the book of Esther? What did Haman try to do? He tried to get all the Jews exterminated to have them killed. Those things, Nazi Germany, Stalin, wiping out the Jews. Guys, that is demonic in nature. That is satanic. And so, notice though, Satan cannot stop God's plans. Verse 5, the Messiah came from the nation of Israel And notice the Messiah, Jesus Christ the Savior, will ultimately rule every nation. How? With a rod of iron. His kingdom will be marked with total righteousness. Evil will not be tolerated. Isn't that going to be great, you guys? It tells us in Isaiah. Let me read this. So when Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation period, how long is the tribulation period? seven years, Jesus comes back to this earth to set up his kingdom. Are you with me still this morning? He sets up his kingdom. And what's his kingdom going to be like? Well, listen to this. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. Are you guys tired of failed politics yet? How about politicians' promises? Listen, Jesus will administer justly to the glory of God the Father, (laughs) and his kingdom will have no end. So glorious. Well, back to this little history lesson that John is getting here. She bore a male child, and it talks about him ruling all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. So Jesus the Messiah came. Did he finish his mission? Yeah, he came to seek and save that which is lost, to give his life a ransom for who? For many, right? He came and gave his life. He suffered, died, and was buried. He died for our sins, paying the penalty, taking the suffering and wrath that we deserved upon himself. He suffered, died, was buried, and rose again on the third day. And then what happened? He ascended to, the he- to heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, and one day he will set up his kingdom. And so I think now as we consider this, Jesus accomplished his mission. So why is Satan still attacking the Jews? Why is he still coming against Israel? Why is he doing that? Maybe I can stop the return of Christ to the earth. Maybe I can wipe out... Have you guys ever thought about anti-Semitism just for a minute? Why are the Jews always the butt of jokes? Why are people so harsh to the Jewish people? You know what it is? It's demonic. It's satanic. Anti-Semitism, listen, it is wrong. And I've shared this before. If you are a believer and you're coming against the Jews, that is demonic. You need to repent. There are people today that boycott the the Israeli nation, the Israelites, the Jews, and they have no idea what they're messing with because God gave a promise to Abraham, didn't he? I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. Listen, we should be eternally grateful to the Jews. They brought us the scriptures and the Savior of the world. And not just that, you know what God wants to do? We learned it in Romans, didn't we? God wants to use our lives, those of us that are Gentiles, use the Gentile believers to do what? To cause them to desire the Savior, to create a thirst in them, a hunger for the true and the living God. That our lives would reflect something of heaven in such a way that they would say, "I need Jesus. I want this I want this Jesus that you got. Are you with me? Anti-Semitism just turns them off to the Lord. It shuts the door to ministry, doesn't it? Are you guys with me this morning? Yes. Amen, thank you and so Satan's trying to do anything he can to wipe out the Jewish people. And so after this pause for this little history lesson, look at verse 6. John sees events that will transpire during the middle of the tribulation period. The woman is fleeing. The the Jews are fleeing. The nation of Israel is fleeing. If you were here last week, a little review. Real quick, we need this. We need a little review. You guys remember what we talked about last week? Halfway through the tribulation period... The Antichrist will do what? He will come into the rebuilt temple and proclaim himself to be God and demand to be worshipped. And what will he do? He's going to turn on the Jews and he's going to come after them to kill them, to wipe them out. Again, it's demonic in nature. That's why Jesus says in in the Olivet Discourse, he says, when you see the abomination of desolation... And those who have read Daniel, you understand, right? When that happens, when the Antichrist does that, what does Jesus say? Just chill out in Jerusalem? What does he say? He says, make a run for it. Run to the wilderness. Get out of Dodge. Take off. It's going to be gnarly. Get out of there. And so so this should start to now kind of gel in your mind and your heart, right? As we're reading through this. The Antichrist is the one who signs the covenant with Israel to begin the seven-year period. And then in the, middle of the coven- in the middle of that covenant, three and a half years, he breaks the covenant, demands to be worshipped. And now he's on the war path. And so look what it says to me. The woman fled, takes off where? Into the wilderness. I believe it's talking about Petra, Basra, modern-day Jordan, that area there. That's my own personal opinion. Based upon some text from Isaiah Isaiah 16, I think it is. But notice, in any event, God has prepared a place of safety for them there. And those Jews will be nourished there for how long? Three and a half years. Isn't that great? Have you guys seen three and a half years over and over and over again used? Isn't that nice? The Lord, I think he's trying to tell us, I want to keep this simple for you. Three and a half years, they're going to be taken care of here. And so... Satan is after the nation of Israel. His days are numbered, though. And so John sees... In, what does John see in verse 7? Check it out. He sees an angelic war happening. And I think today, listen, if, if the veil was... The curtain was pulled back right now, we would see a battle going on. In the in the spiritual realm, there's a battle going on. But here is a war that is broken out. And so who's fighting? Who, who's Michael, by the way? He's the... what? He's the archangel. Daniel 12 tells us, who does he protect? Who does he take care of? Israel, thank you. So here's Michael the archangel and his boys, and they're taking on the devil, right? And his crew, and who wins? Look at verse 8. The devil and his angels not only lost the fight, they're going to lose the fight, they lose their place in heaven. They are permanently evicted. Previously, they had access. How do we know that? How do we know that, guys? How do we know the devil and his fallen angels have had access to heaven? How do we know that, you guys? Where does it tell us? You guys, remember where? Job, the book of Job, chapter one and two. Also, Zechariah. If you're taking notes, Zechariah chapter three, and also Second Chronicles eighteen is another uh, ver- ver- chapter verse. Uh, chapter and verse. Yeah, chapter and verse. You need to have. Uh, 2 Chronicles 18. You can look it up later and check it out. And so verse 9 tells us what Satan is given the boot. And then note, this is something very interesting with me. Look at the different names that are applied to him, to the dragon. He's called a dragon. What does a dragon speak of? Ferociousness? Fierceness? Perhaps serpent of old. Where does that take us back to? Genesis chapter... Genesis chapter 3, you guys. Right? The serpent of old. Remember how he came to Eve and tempted her? It's the, it's the first question in the Bible. It's the questioning of God's word. That ever happened to you? Someone's questioning? Did God really say that? Come on. That's demonic too. Did God really say that? Come on. No way. You don't believe, you don't believe the Bible, do you? Come on. It's a bunch of man-made stories. Really? 66 books, 40 different authors, three different languages, three different continents, over 1,500 years of writing that it all points to Jesus, all singular in theme. There's no way. That's God-ordained. That's That's God-breathed, buckaroo. There's no other explanation for it. Of course I believe God's word. But the enemy wants to question the word of God. He's the serpent. He's sneaky. The sneaky snake of old. Also, he's called the devil. You know what devil means? Slanderer, accuser, or backbiter. Satan means, this, uh, this is so interesting, means ad- adversary, opposer, or enemy. Think about that. And so what, is, what, is the, what does he want to do? He wants to oppose God's plans. He wants to oppose God's plans in your life to stop God's what he to stop what God wants to do in your marriage and in your family and in your ministry you have to recognize that we are in a spiritual battle we don't wrestle against flesh and blood there's a very real enemy that wants to oppose the precious work that God wants to do in you he's doing a beautiful work in you guys and in your church in our church here it's like recognize that when there's fighting when there's division when there's when there's gossip and backbiting that is not from the lord that's from the pit, you guys. That's unhealthy. Amen. Notice also he deceives the whole world. He leads people off course. He leads people away from God, away from the truth of God's word. Jesus said he's a father of, he is the father of lies and he's a murderer. He's been a murderer from the beginning. 2 Corinthians 11 tells us that he is a counterfeiter. He's a phony. He's a fake. And so he and his crew get booted to planet Earth. They're no longer welcome in heaven. Look at verse 10 with me. What does it say? And there's a party going on in heaven. A joyful announcement follows. John hears this voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. Why? For the accuser of our brethren... Who are the brethren? That's us, gang. The, the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. So there's a party going on. The devil's gone. The kingdom is about to be birthed. Satan is booted from God's presence. And it's interesting, the devil lives up to his name. He accuses God's children. How often? How often? day and night, 24-7. And, and can I point out this morning, I think there's a simple application for us, the devil's thing, you know what the devil's thing is to do? is to accuse the people of God. The devil's job is to accuse. Therefore, listen, therefore, we as Christians must never do the devil's work. He wants to divide. He wants to rip off to bring division and discord if you listen if you get caught up in gossip and slander and accusations you're doing the devil's work I know that's a heavy word for some of us if you are making accusations gossiping and slandering you're doing the devil's work and I would I would warn you this morning woe unto you you'd better be careful if I'm lying deceitful being phony getting angry making accusations I'm doing the devil's work I mean, it's just clear. Don't be on the devil's side in the battle that we are in, you guys. And either my life looks more and more like the lamb or it looks more and more like the dragon. And we want to look more and more like the lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And so as John the Baptist said, I must be decreasing, he must be increasing. Lord, do a work in my heart. Because Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The problem is a heart issue. God, cleanse our hearts. Help us that our words would build up and not tear down others. That we would edify and strengthen our brothers and sisters. Well, look at verse 11. Great verse. I've got it highlighted. If not, you should have it highlighted in your heart and in your mind. The context, remember, the context speaks of the tribulation saints that are suffering and facing martyrdom at this time during the tribulation. Yet it's such an important truth. The devil is able to be overcome. The devil is able to be overcome this morning. The devil wants to take away your hope. Jesus is our hope in all things. Here's how the battle is won. Three things. Look what it says. Number one, by the blood of the lamb. Who's the lamb? Jesus Christ. A child of God is washed clean. You are clean this morning because of Jesus' shed blood for you on your behalf and on my behalf. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Guys, as Christians, we are forgiven. We've been given a fresh start. A new start. No matter how jacked up a person may be, there is hope with the blood of the Lamb. (laughs) Because we're some pretty jacked up people. (laughs) That the Lord has washed and cleansed. His blood speaks of his life given for us for the forgiveness of sins. And there's a courtroom, there's a courtroom imagery here. Jesus is our defense attorney. Are you with me? If Satan's accusing day and night the brethren, accusing us 24 7, that's a courtroom scene. And the Father is the judge and he's sitting there. And here's Satan, he's making accusations. And who steps in for us? The wonderful counselor, wonderful attorney, Jesus. I'm hearing those accusations, but he's already washed by the blood of the Lamb. He's not guilty. Jesus is my advocate. I'm clean before God. Jesus paid for all of it. Do you know Jesus paid for all your sins? All of them. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah! Thank you, Lord. I rejoice in him. We stand on his work, not our own works. Second thing was to say, by the word of their testimony. If you are a child of God here this morning, you have a testimony. You have a story of how you came to know Jesus Christ personally, what you were before. This is what I was like before. I don't give glory to that. That was junk. That was, my life was headed on a broad path to destruction. I was damaging myself and derailing others and hurting others. So self-centered, self-absorbed, and I met Jesus Christ personally. How did you meet him? How did you come to meet him? And what is the Lord doing now, your transformed life? What is Jesus doing currently in your life? What, is God, what produced that change in your life? It's a testimony, listen you guys, it's a testimony that Jesus is living in you and living in me a changed life. There's a real thing that God has done in your life. There's a real, there's a real thing that's happened in your life. And only, he, only He's the explanation, the one that's healing you and, and transforming you and changing you. You serve the living God, born again by His Spirit. You know Him. God gives us a fresh start. Look, look how far He's taken you this morning. Can you look back on your life and say, wow, Lord, I, can't, I know I'm not what I should be, but Praise God. I'm not what I used to be. And listen, even if the whole world came against you and said, there ain't no God, you could say, no way. No way, Jose. I know him personally, and you can't take that away from me. You can't take away a testimony, gang, of what Jesus has done in your heart and in your life. Do you have a testimony? Have you gone on record this morning? God's word says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Have you gone on record? Have you shared with anybody Do people know about your changed life? Well, pastor, I know about yours, man. You're an arrogant, what an arrogant jerk you are. You should have seen me before. I'm under construction, much like the 290. <laughs> It's taken a long time. <clears throat> but I know where I stand with Jesus. And I'm growing in grace and the knowledge of Him. Notice the third thing. What does it say? How, how are we overcomers? It says they did, not, they did not love their lives to the death. You know what that means? That's a life given over to Jesus. A... Commitment to him, even if it means death. That's the worst thing that can happen, isn't it? Someone takes a... Chops off the old nugget. I'm going to see Jesus. He will, give you, he will give us what we need to stand in that time. His grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. If you kill me, I'm going to heaven. And Jesus can spend my life any way he chooses, any way he wants. I've surrendered my will to his. It's no longer me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity running the show. It's, Lord, here's my life. I'm not fully into myself anymore. Listen, those that love themselves, it's all about them. Isn't it? Those that are in love with this life, where it's all about self-preservation. It's all about guarding my reputation. The Bible says Jesus made himself of no reputation and we're to have the same mind of Christ. To make ourselves of no reputation. And I'm learning. I was, I was accused this week. Who's the <coughs> accuser of the brethren, by the way? I was accused this week. It's interesting because we're in this passage. You guys ever been accused? Anybody here? Yeah. I, I would say probably every one of us. If not, it's going to happen at some point. Does it feel good when you're accused? No. Oh, Yeah. Give me some more of that. <laughs> give, me, give me a second serving of that, man. But you know what I learned this week? And I knew this, but I, I, I had to re- learn it again. Accusations hurt because I care too much about my own life. I'm so focused on me. Fighting to guard my life. My life is hidden in Christ. I'm His. And what's, what the Lord is concerned with here is how we react and respond when that happens. Are you with me? Because either I can respond as the dragon or the serpent and rear my ugly head, the old Mike who's been crucified, I can bring him back and come and bite, or I can respond as the lamb, gentle and lowly, and receive that. Okay, and I'll give that to the Lord. And listen, same way way with all of us. You take the criticism you take the praise and you know what you do like a hot potato give it to the Lord just right here just like you know know the dance move just think about that just get it up there give it to the Lord if there's a kernel of truth in it the Lord will show you as you're processing it with him you pray through it with the Lord and he'll show you what little, little kernel of truth is in there what little seed and there's a party going on verse 12 Therefore rejoice, it's party time All of heaven's inhabitants Why? The devil's been evicted But you on earth On the sea In the sea, look out Whoa, Satan's going to be paying you a visit And he is furious He knows his time is about up And let's finish this out, last couple verses Now when the dragon saw That he had been cast to the earth What did he do? He persecuted the woman Who's the woman? Israel who gave birth to the male child who's the male child Jesus Jesus. but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent who's the serpent Satan, so the serpent spewed water out of his mouth, how, like a flood, after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood, but the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth, and the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So the devil recognizes my access, my backstage past is gone. I'm done. And so what does he do? He's been evicted permanently. And what does it say? Verse 13. He goes after Israel, again, wanting to to destroy the Jews once and for all. But notice in verse 14, the Jews receive supernatural help. And and I... (laughs) I love this because there's sometimes people come to me and say, Pastor, I, I know what those two wings of a great eagle are. I, I, I Googled it. And that's the United States, isn't it? I found the, the U.S. in the Bible. Yes. And I say, no. Because <laughs> we're so concerned. What about us? What about the U.S.? What about Jesus. Number one, you're a a citizen of the kingdom of heaven before you're a citizen of the U.S. Again, the best commentary for the Bible is the Bible itself. They received supernatural help. I'm going to flip over to Exodus 19.4. It's a reference to the Lord who did the same thing for Israel as they were on the run as they left Egypt. God reminded them. Exodus 19, four, 3, rather, 3 and 4. 3 gives us the context. And Moses went up to God, he was to have a little powwow with the Lord, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, <clears throat> You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Isn't that beautiful? You know, the, the Lord does that in our lives too. Has the Lord ever rescued you? <laughs> but it's, it's why. It's to bring us to himself. Not just to say, that was pretty cool. But to bring us closer to his heart. To say, oh, Lord, thank you for rescuing me back there. Oh, God, I said some stupid stuff. Lord, thank you that love covers a multitude of sins. Man, that that was dumb what I, oh, Lord, please, can you rescue me from this? You know, God's faithful to do that. To rescue us, to help us, but it's to bring us to himself. That we'd stay close to his heart. And so we see this in Revelation, as the Jews are being persecuted, they flee, they're on the run, and God gives supernatural help that, that, that to expedite the trip to get to the wilderness where she will be supernaturally cared for. Look at this, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. You know how much that is? Three and a half years, thank you. Another Old Testament reference. Three and a half years, God will supernaturally nourish and care for these people, for these Jews that go into hiding. Has God done that before? Yeah. He did in the wilderness, didn't he? Didn't he do it with Elijah? You guys remember Elijah? What, how did God provide for Elijah? How did He bring food to Elijah? You guys remember? What kind of birds? Ravens. Raven. Remember the ravens? They came, oh, there's Elijah chilling out, and all of a sudden, here comes. Chick-fil-A delivered to didn't have Chick-fil-A Cruising in To nourish him You know God can nourish you too Provide for you When we look to him God takes care of her The nation of Israel Three and a half years From the serpent From the devil And what does the, what does the devil do Israel goes on the run And the devil tries to stop her like a flood, floods in Scripture sometimes speak of physical floods, like in Noah's day, but also it speaks of a military invasion. I wrote it down. It's a great verse, Jeremiah 46:8. If you're taking notes, you can check that out later. And so I believe what's happening is the Antichrist' forces, it's a military attack, and they are following the Jews into the wilderness as they're on the run. And in verse 16, Israel receives what? Supernatural help, supernatural rescue. God opens the earth and swallows up the military invasion. Isn't that awesome? Just Can you imagine watching that? <laughs> Bye-bye. The devil's attempt to wipe out Israel will fail at this time. And he's furious, verse 17. And so what does he do? Does the devil stop, by the way? He keeps going, doesn't he? And what does he do? He turns and goes after those Jews, I believe, who come to know Jesus personally there. They keep God's word. They have a real genuine relationship with Jesus. And he just turns his focus somewhere else to, to, to kill, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And that's all the devil wants to do. But listen, Jesus has come that you might have life. Jesus said, I, I did not come to destroy men's lives, but what? But to save men's lives. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and life more abundantly. That's where life is found. That's where our security, listen, our security is found in Jesus. Our safety is found in Jesus. Our satisfaction is found in Jesus. Are you with me this morning? It's not found outside of Jesus. We find everything in him. This is so important this morning. And it's so important to be on the right side of God. Are you with me? To be on the lamb side, not the dragon side. Let me ask you guys a question. Did God ever open up the earth and swallow anything? You guys remember where it was? I think it's a fitting close to our chapter. Where was it from? What book? You guys remember what book it was? It was. Book uh, starts with N. Rhymes with lumbers. Numbers, chapter sixteen. You guys remember the story? Moses is leading the children of Israel, and a guy named Korah. I remember Korah? Korah and a couple of his buddies. They grab some heavy hitters to get on their side. They're jealous, perhaps. They come to Moses. They make accusations. Say some rude stuff. You guys take too much upon yourself. You're not sharing ministry with us, man. And the thing was, those guys were appointed to leadership and ministry. They were given the opportunity to serve the Lord. They were discontent where God had them. They wanted more and more. And it's a, such an awesome study on how to respond when that happens with Moses. Get a chance to go check it out. Because it's interesting, because those that brought accusations ended up getting swallowed, getting taken down to the pit. And you know what? That, that, that's what happens if we're involved with gossip and slander and hurting others with our words. You're going to end up in a pit. Maybe not physically. Maybe not, you know, Barker Cypress is going to open up and swallow you. <laughs> but you'll find yourself in a pit. You'll be continually striving and lonely and empty. And just like Cora, just like you'll want to get a bunch of people on your side. And if you get drug into that, you get drug into that, that accusation, gossip, slander party, guess what? You're going to get swallowed up with everybody else. Or or you can choose to say, Lord, I'm content in you. You lead and guide my steps. And we're going to learn in a couple weeks. And follow the lamb wherever he goes. Lord, here's my life. You just direct my steps. I'm content. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of wickedness, David said. I'm content, Lord. You want to lift me up? I'm fine. You want to move me around? I'm fine. My life is in your hands. I surrender to you. And you know what the best possible place to be is saying, Lord, your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. And his will is best. Amen. Amen. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And just, God, your word is so good. Help us, Lord, to walk in the things you're teaching us. We don't want to be on the wrong side, Lord, of you. Help us, Lord. Forgive me, God, for when I respond like the dragon instead of the lamb. Lord, help me. Help us. Because you're concerned not only with our actions, but our reactions. Thank you that your blood washes us clean.